Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code the Zone 125 You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. To Yelich. Hammered! Deep right center! Christian Yelich going yard, hitting a grand slam, second home run of the day on Saturday. And now the Brewers were already winning five to four when he hit that grand slam, but that was the one that cemented it because Miguel Sanchez did struggle a little bit in the ninth, having to bring in Hader. But Christian Yelich, Christian Yelich is the one we want to talk about because Christian Yelich is the guy that is the former MVP. He should have back-to-back MVPs. He is the face of the franchise, in my opinion, for the Milwaukee Brewers. And, well, he frankly just hasn't had a very good season. Uh, no, he's he's been bad. But I, I'm i going to put this out as a poll. I think the question right now is is very simple. Is Christian Yelich back? I mean, that's... That's like Nelly is year. Christian because I, I I know that you would be bullish to say that he was and I on the other hand just jump to the other side of the fence as quick as I can to talk myself into things is Christian Yelich back so in my opinion I think since the last 10 days or so two weeks maybe Christian Yelich has been looking better at the plate I don't want to say he's back yet because what are the most annoying sports fans in college football? They are the people that say after one game, after Nebraska. one good game, that Texas is back, Miami is back, Nebraska is back. I'm not going to be one of those annoying sports fans. That you're calling we, me annoying? You're from, I mean, uh, you're I, from Philly. Uh, yeah, it's true. Are you one that keeps saying Texas is back? No, no, no. I'm very realistic when it comes to things. But when you're talking about a guy, and I said jokingly, but he's hitting like 600 since Giannis bought ownership of the Brewers. But aside from that, you go, his last 30 has been better or pretty much similar to his entire season. But you go to his last 15 games, average up to 300, is on base 333. The slugging numbers were not good, but he was... He was getting on base more and, and hitting the ball better. In his last seven, obviously, some of that was aided by his massive performance on Saturday. But you're seeing consistent production. And we spoke at the end of last week about whether to move him down in the lineup. And I was in favor of it. I thought like you can never bench him because of what he has the potential to bring to your offense. But moving him down might have been the best just to get him out of the funk. But I like after what I saw this weekend and over the last week, I'm in on him being not back to MVP form, but back to being a consistent force in the lineup. And Christian Yelich, when you look at his numbers over the last two weeks, he's batting 320 with an OPS at point eight four six, so eight forty six. That's a lot of singles. And then you yeah, got this. It, uh, if you're hitting three twenty and your OPS is still like eight four, it's a lot of singles. Well, I mean, we all know that Christian Yelich is a... You just go back to Moneyball. What does he do? Gets on base. <laughs> and you look at this Adam McKelvey tweet, which was over his last 11 games. Christian Yelich was hitting 355, 16 hits and 45 at-bats, 5 extra base hits, 10 RBIs. That's not too bad. And then when you even make that into just the last week, he's batting 360 in the last week, and he's got an OPS of 1,000. 
But most importantly for me, because we've seen over the last couple of weeks the, the singles and everything start to come back, him going deep twice on pitches that are hittable, because some of his struggles have been like he's just been missing pitches. He usually crushes. He, like the fact that he was able to go deep twice against a, again, double A and or triple A pitching rotation minus Corbin. But the, the fact he was able to do that shows me that he is further back to his normal self because Christian Yelich of two months ago would not have hit those home runs. See, this no. is this is why I'm going to say I'm hesitant to say he's back because we know that in baseball, baseball's a long season, right? 162 games, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Correct. We also know that baseball is a game of routines and a game of habits. And if you know anything about routines and habits, it takes a while to do the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, I learned it this weekend trying to fix my golf swing. <laughs> or you'll probably you'll probably learn it this week by about Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday about just getting up super early in the morning, earlier than what you normally are. You're going to be like, man, I'm actually a little dragging. I'm like a little this tired. Morning. Exactly. <laughs> like... You'll get it, but that's also the same thing with baseball. When you said it earlier, Christian Yelich, to me, it looked like from the majority of the season, was pulling off the baseball, and that's why he couldn't hit pitches right down the middle. That's why he couldn't get or hit hanging breaking balls that were right there because those were pitches he used to normally put in the seats. Correct. Yeah. And if they hang it, he bangs it, and he would hit it hard. They'd be a, a double in the in the gap, or they'd be over the fence. He was not that guy. He was pulling off the baseball, in my opinion. He just didn't look right up to bat. And and he had so many awkward swings where he just looked off balance and he just did not look good. But this is why I think he's starting to come around. When you look at his last couple weeks, they started with, I think it was that Pittsburgh series. The biggest thing for me was the fact that he started shooting the baseball the other way. Mm -hmm. And if you ever have a hitter that's been struggling... All I need, if I was the hitting coach, all I'd say to him is, all I want you to do is to take it to center to your opposite field. And for Christian Yelich, that's center to left, being a left-handed hitter. Well, especially the great lefties. Because then you could talk about the primary pole hitters. Like, Didi Gregorius has never hit opposite field homer in his life, literally. <laughs> but the great ones, when you're talking about a Yelich, he is locked in when left center is just getting piped into the gap. And the reason that's that's why it is, is because... When you are getting off balance or pulling off the baseball, obviously we're going to talk about Yelich because he's a left-handed hitter. You're you're falling off to the first base side. You want to pull everything to right field. Reason why telling this type of player to hit it to center or left means he has to stay in the box. He has to stay back on the baseball and, and drive it the other way. Means he's he can't pull off the baseball. If you're if you are actively hitting it to the opposite field, you can't pull off the baseball like he was doing. What I noticed in that Pittsburgh series was he started to find a hit here or there, and they were line drives to the opposite field. They were line drives to left, left center, and that started to bode well. He started to have better at-bats. Now, granted, we still saw him have some bad at-bats where he wasn't necessarily uh, staying in the box. You know, There was also ones where he was fooled by curveballs, which you normally don't see Christian Yelich, but you started to see a progression of him having better uh attempts at the plate better plate appearances yep. and then it just kind of rolled and then all of a sudden this series against the Washington Nationals it looks like he's starting to put it all together but it's just such a small sample size in the greater scheme of 162 games 
I need to see it for a little bit more because I know how easy you can get out of routines and doing the same thing. You, he's going to have to continue to do this over and over until it becomes muscle memory again because obviously it wasn't muscle memory for almost a f- length of a full Major League Baseball season dating back to 2020 and then the first three and a half months of this season. Correct, but... Baseball, while it is a long season and a marathon, it is a game of runs and it is a game of streaks. And every single run, every single move in a positive direction, whether it's a team, a pitcher, a batter, it always starts somewhere. And I think these last couple series, this last 14, 15 days, have been that start just because of what you said. And I mean, if you're looking at from, I, I remember we talked on last Wednesday, I feel like it was, uh, Bill and I were talking about Yelich and why he's having a down year. A lot of his batting ratios were the same as they've been. His homer percentage was obviously low because he wasn't going deep, but his strikeout percentage was less than it was in 2020, but higher than other years. Walk percentage was the same. He was pulling the ball, hitting ground balls, all at the same rate as normal. But his average exit velocity was down below 90, which is pretty much at the MLB average, while in his MVP years, up at 94, 95. So for me... All of the stats and everything told me that the foundation was there. He just needed to lock in because it's not like he's he's a Chris Davis or some other player. Which who, one? Uh, the <laughs> either the one who got popped for Adderall nah, and forgot how to hit. And where nah. where they go into a year and everything changes. You know, like there there was the base there. He was striking out too much. He wasn't hitting homers. We all knew that. But when you look at all of the ratios of when he's pulling the ball, when he's hitting it opposite field all of those ratios if you go down the line they're all super similar to his career Mm -hmm. so the only thing is he wasn't hitting those balls hard but then now that we've started seeing it I feel like there's already the foundation there for him to return to a good and productive form and I think if you watch because I went back and while I watched obviously Sunday watched Friday night but Saturday I went back and and caught it on on Sunday the one big thing that Christian Yelich looks different to me when he's up to bat in the last week and a half is when he's up to bat and he gets his foot down, he's getting his foot down and he's coming through on balance. He's yes. balanced. When you saw him struggling where he's striking out and missing some of those pitches that were right down the middle, he wasn't balanced and he wasn't necessarily getting his foot down. And he was always pulling off almost like he was falling off to which would be his right side or the first base side. He didn't seem to get that foot down and be at complete balance like he had been. And you see that's the difference between if you're pulling off like that you hit a weak ground ball to the right side or you're completely missing the pitch. But when you get that foot down, you come through on balance, it's winding up in the gap or it's over the fence. At the beginning of the year, they always have on MLB Network their shredders of like the best players in baseball or the best players at the particular position. Which I, MLB Network does a better job than any other uh, broadcast for yeah. other sports at explaining it and making it fun oh, yeah. and interesting. Absolutely. And Christian Yelich came on their shredder list inside the top 10. If I remember correctly off the top of my head, he came in at like ninth. Ninth out of all of the big league players, even after the 2020 season that was. And I was kind of sitting there going, okay, might be a little bit high after that terrible, terrible 2020 just because of how bad that season was. But when you look at his 18 and 19, he's arguably the best hitter in baseball behind Mike Trout in 18 and 19. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Mike Trout is arguably one of the best players of all time. I I would argue he will be when it is all said and done. And 
So I, I thought nine was a little high. Now, I was anticipating a bounce-back season. I don't think a lot of people saw this type of season coming after that 2020. You thought, oh, Christian Yelich, he's a guy that was borderline all-star as a as a Marlin, found his, his niche when he really started to mature in the game of baseball at Miller Park back in the day, coming into a stadium that was hitter-friendly. It was left-handed friendly, and he, he just got bigger. He got more physical, and, and the numbers came. Well, the thing that they were talking about on MLB Network was the fact that it was the weirdest season ever in 2020 for Yelich. His on-base percentage was pretty close to the same. His hard-hit ball rate was pretty close to the same, and his chase rate was pretty close to the same as his MVP year. Mm-hmm. But a 30% and, strikeout rate was insane. Well, the the thing was, it wasn't even that he was chasing pitches and going out of the strike zone. He was missing pitches that were right there. Yep. It was the weirdest thing ever, and they didn't know exactly what it was. And then when you fast forward to 2021, it was the same thing as 2020. You're like, why is he missing these pitches right there? And now all of a sudden... He's starting to hit those pitches. He's starting to stay back. He's starting to get on balance. If he can just start to hit the pitches that are there, which every big be back. which every big leaguer has to do to to be good and to be uh you know stay at the level, I think yeah then he'll be back. But I, me like RJ, I don't think I can say he's back. I need to see it for a, a legit t- uh, period of time. I I can't just say yeah. he's back after. A week and a half of good at bats. I, I do get that. A poll up on my Twitter at Ben Z Kenny is Christian Yelich back. Seventy six percent so far say yes. So was I, I? I mean, you do need to see it more continuously, but I am on the side that he is back. What was it? Thirty two players Should I, that did not play on Saturday. You ready? Now, okay. Granted, the first playoff game against the Texans over uh, what a week ago. Yes, they had a ton of guys out. Jordan Love made his first uh, start. Jordan Love, I thought, looked pretty decent. I thought Devin Funches looked pretty good for not playing since 2000 and early 2019. Outside of that, though, I would say that the Packers didn't look that great. The offensive line didn't look very good. No. The defense didn't look very good for the most part. I thought it was, um, outside of Funches and Love, there was a, a lot more to be desired from the Green Bay Packers. Well, the Packers played the Jets on Saturday afternoon, and now they lost 23-14, to but I thought this looked like a completely different Green Bay Packers team than what they were against the Houston Texans. Well, yeah, and uh, going back to that Texans game quickly, I agree with you that I liked, I, I really liked what I saw from Love. He looked comfortable, and you understand that, like, why he might have struggled at times or looked off schedule. It's his first game in two years. Like, the last game he had played was the Senior Bowl in 2019. So I liked what I saw. The rest of the team, special teams, everything else, minus, uh, shoot, I forget which linebacker it was that that had the day. But, oh, Oren Burks. He, he had a great day. <laughs> Aside from that, the team sucked against Houston. But the same, like, I, I just have such trouble with the preseason. Because it like it was exhibition games, but then they changed it in order to sell to all the TV stations that these games actually matter. When everybody knows that they don't matter except for somebody who will or will not make the roster. Like those are why these games are important. Do you want me to go through everyone who didn't play? Yeah. <laughs> like like yes, the Packers looked better, but again, 
it doesn't matter. Now, there are some, there are some yeah. specific players we're going to talk about that played well and some that struggled. That is important. You like to see young guys and guys fighting for a position play well. And but overall, list, I, I'm just saying, like, in terms of the team, like, I don't care if they lose by 30. I don't care if they lose by five. I don't care if they win by 30. I want to see how specific guys do. Yeah, and that list that you mentioned where they had over 30 players not play against the Jets. Can I go through it? There were there were some of those guys that were out with injury, but the overwhelming majority oh, yeah. were just guys that they have no reason being in the preseason. They have nothing to prove, and they're basically just waiting for week one yeah. so that the team can be as healthy as possible. So, yeah, if you want to name off some of the guys that sat right, out because well, it's a no, healthy I'm gonna, number. I'm going to try to do it in one breath. You ready? <clears throat> Jordan Love, Devin Funches, Aaron Rodgers, Alan Lazard, Chris Blair, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Equinemius St. Brown, Kevin King, Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, Aaron Jones, Vernon Scott, Shandon Sullivan, Dominique Daphne, that's halfway there, Rashawn Gary, Zadarius Smith, Devon J. Campbell, Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Billy Turner, Dennis Kelly, Josiah DeGuara, MVS, Robert Tunyon, Jawan Winfrey, Mercedes Lewis, Preston Smith, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Kenny Clark. That's the entire team. So aside from guys like Kylan Hill that we'll talk about that I that I loved watching and Malik Taylor, we don't even need to get into Kurt Banker. Like Kurt Banker was okay, but he's the third string. But Kylan Hill, Malik Taylor, awesome. TJ Slayton had a nice sack. But I like I, I don't really care that that they lost by what was it nine instead of thirty five. I don't care that the team as a whole looked better. No, I mean I. I watched the game on Sunday because I told you I was uh, had other things going on, was down in Iowa for other stuff. So I taped the game, and I obviously could run through it and could re, re-watch things. So go you back didn't and watch have different to watch plays. it in its entirety. which ugh. And that was actually pretty nice because you could get through it in like yeah. an hour and a half, two hours. But, I mean, going back, you listed all those guys that were out. It's the whole and team. It's a lot of the big names, and... Outside of a few names, you're like, hey, I'm not really sure who that guy was just because they actually had an injury, whether it be like a hamstring or a quad. Those were a lot of the guys that were already going to make the team. They actually said on the broadcast that Matt LaFleur pretty much said in an interview going into that game that they were pretty confident about you know, 45, 46 players that they already knew had made the roster. We know that obviously only 53 make the roster. That means you only have between seven or eight spots that people are actually competing for. And then your 14 practice squad spots. I actually love you're having, which I love you're having your Amari Rogers and your AJ Dillon's and your younger guys get those reps when they might not be your primary starters when the season starts. I, I love the fact that they expanded the practice squad to 14 players. So I think I. it's smart. I think especially when you're making the teams now go 17 weeks on an 18-week season and you throw in the COVID thing, so you're going to have players down testing positive for COVID or uh, being contacts of COVID. I think it's smart. Hell, I wouldn't even be upset if they added a couple more players because I think in the Packers uh, case, the Packers team kind of like the Brewers. It's pretty deep. It and is. A, it is extremely deep. I. But the the thing. It is very deep. But the the conversation around this team right now, because they have gotten destroyed in the two preseason games. Now they didn't get as destroyed against the Jets, but because they've lost, everyone's questioning the depth of the team. It's like no, this is still a really deep team at all the key positions. It just happens to be that a lot of the third string and fourth string guys that are out there aren't able to beat. A Houston team, which 
is pretty much everyone's playing for their job because no one, like, they're a new team and, and everyone's grinding to make the roster. And, and a Jets team that had their starting quarterback out there. Well, you know what that Houston Texans team looked like? They looked like the Green Bay Packers when uh, Brian Gutekunst took over and a lot of that roster needed to have turnover. Exactly. Except for they don't have Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. I like this is still a deep team. I I've seen people question maybe the O line depth or, or something because some of the O linemen have struggled. But it's like once once the season starts and this gets going, you're only going to need one or two of the guys that are playing right now. So like I went through and I watched that Jets Packers game, and I know you said you didn't care about Kurt Benkert. I actually thought that especially in that first half, the Green Bay Packers played really well. Now they were down 17, 14 at the half. I thought they played extremely well. I thought Kurt Benkert for the most part looked pretty good. He was okay. And you have to remember that that green Bay Packers team, they have that extremely young offensive line where you have a rookie trying to come in and and start at center. You were playing, uh, what Braden was also being thrown in there. Cole Van Landon, my guy. Yeah. You had a ton of third and fourth string. Now they did switch it up after, you know, uh, changing up their offensive line from week one in the preseason because of how bad they looked. But you had a lot of third and fourth string guys for the Green Bay Packers in that first half playing against the Jets ones and twos. Exactly. And they were they lost the first half 17 to 14, and it was an extremely competitive game. Exactly. And like that's a, the Jets had their good players out. The Texans were trying and, and the Packers are on cruise control until the season starts. There were three guys on the offensive line that I loved watching. The first I mentioned him, Cole Van Landen. Now, I, I didn't really get why they're trying. Now, versatility is great. He played tackle for the Badgers, but he projects so much more as a guard in the NFL. And he was back at left guard on Saturday after starting at right tackle in the opener. And and, and he played really well. He was like, like, he's looking like a guy that can be a depth piece along the offensive line. That's great news. I loved Royce Newman start, mm-hmm. starting at right guard, run pass blocker. He, he, he just played well. And then, ya- it, correct my pronunciation on his name, Yash Neiman? I I think that's how it said. I mean, don't quote me. Yeah, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at his stats from the game. 46 clean snaps at left tackle. Like, even though and now the offense looked better because uh, Bankert played well and, and whatever, but... I like like you you still have performances from the game to highlight Malik Taylor, Kylan Hill, all those guys. I like I I don't want to hear about the team not being as deep because they can't beat the Jets starters. No, I'm with you. I thought uh, Royce Newman and Ben Braden both played pretty well on that offensive line, and that was the switch up because from game one they obviously went with uh, Josh Myers at center, yeah. the guy that everyone expects to start out of Ohio State at center. And then on his right and left at guard, it was Lucas Patrick, who's a longtime veteran that's played, you know, pretty serviceable football. And then it was John Runyon, who was coming off of his rookie year, where when inserted into the lineup at times, looked pretty decent for a rookie last year. Well, those two guys kind of got torched against the Texans and they switched it up. They brought in Braden. They brought in Newman. I thought both of them held their own and actually outperformed Lucas Patrick and uh, John Runyon. My bad. Runyon. I couldn't. I Philly just had a really bad mark. Um, but yeah, Runyon and Patrick. I thought Braden and Newman came in and looked better than they did week one. Correct. And and Royce Newman, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, the highest graded player on offense through two preseason games. Which is like, the, you know the guys that are going to be up front on the line and you know it's going to be one of the elite lines in football given health. And now you see individual performances like these make you 
I don't want to say happy, but make you content with the fact that there are guys that if someone goes down, Royce Newman can step in and be serviceable. Well, that was that was one of the things. It was we knew that last year the line was really good and the line was really deep. This year you saw, okay, well, you lose Corey Lindsley. He's a, you know, pro bowler. You don't have Bakhti, David Bakhtiari starting the season because he tore his ACL. You also lost on the edges Ricky Wagner, who actually, when filling in, was pretty good. Legend. Well, and Well, he's a legend in the state, but yes. I mean, that's three positions on your you know offensive line that you're like, okay, well, we need to replace now, at least for the time being. And you draft Josh Myers. He comes in. Who, I, I, I mean, this is a little tangent. Keanu Benton has made him look stupid in the past. But he's come in and he's played well. And, and no, the Packers, he's a great player. And the Packers have said, like, this kid is really far along, kind of like Corey Lindsley was when he got in here. Right. And they expect him to start. And I thought he's played pretty decent. You know that Lucas Patrick is going to be a serviceable uh, veteran. We've seen flashes from Runyon in the past. And now when you can bring in Braden and you can bring in Newman, guys who are young players, and they're showing that they can step up and, like I said, kind of uh, outshined Patrick and Runyon in, in game one. That just shows that all of a sudden a line that you thought was going to be good but not necessarily deep because it was going to be young, all of a sudden it looks like it's going to be deep and they're going to have players that can rotate in and out if there is injury. And we know that they're going to be playing a little shorthanded with uh, David Bakhtiari out for probably the first month. Yep. But I, I, I liked what I saw, and I think you could see that the difference between running the football against the Texans and running the football against the Jets was a lot better Night in game day. two. Yes, absolutely. So we'll, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll get into some of the other positives coming up. We will also get into some of the negatives. Who maybe didn't play as well and who is now maybe on the outside looking in to make the roster. But, I mean, it feels good that we're talking about football. Albeit the preseason, I like. I love getting into the specifics, projecting how the season's going to start. Because we know when that season starts, there's a guy that wears number 12 that goes under center. So it, it doesn't matter yeah. as much if you have a makeshift left guard for two weeks. You and, know? Real, and real quick, though, did you uh, – so they interviewed Aaron Rodgers on the sideline because I, 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 at the beginning, Ben Kirk was getting stepped on. Yeah. By a couple of his offensive linemen and going down <laughs> and Rogers made the joke. He's like, now we definitely, cause he was talking about Newman. We definitely would be having some conversations if I was getting stepped on like that. And then there was a couple bad snaps, but I think overall the, it looked a lot better. Yeah, I totally understand being doubtful of whether Jordan love can be the next like franchise quarterback, but to say this early that he sucks. I think that's far. Now, I'm, I was with you. I watched the uh, Jordan Love, and I actually thought he played pretty well. He showed you that he has some arm strength. I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not jumping overboard, but like like what I wanted to see, his comfort, his his ability to make plays and ad-lib sometimes, he he looked fine. And and that's he just, now he just needs to keep building. Well, he also building. never had a clean pocket. Exactly. Like the, we talked about it earlier last segment that the offensive line looked pretty bad and the Texans kind of ate it up. Well, Jordan Love really never had much time in the pocket, and I thought he maneuvered the pocket well. He Obviously, we know he has a strong arm. He showed that off. And I thought, uh, for the most part, his accuracy was uh, pretty solid, too, because that, that yeah. was one of the questions with him playing hero ball his last year at Utah State. Was Well, Gary Anderson was his coach, and, and we know what happens when Gary Anderson coaches football. And I know you're going to hate this one, but Uh-oh. I think Kurt Benkert looked pretty damn good in that first half. Now, does he make the roster? It all comes down to if they want to keep three quarterbacks. I'll say this. 
If you want to practice squad Kurt Benkert, I'm not against it because he is a guy that's been in the league for a while. He's shown that he can be somewhat valuable. And if you want to keep three, makes sense to me. I don't even think he would make it on the practice squad. I think another team would pick him up as their backup before that. I was like, yeah, he was he, he was fine. I mean, it, it, you look at it, only six yards per attempt at, at the end of it. He, he does throw the interception. He was like, he was good. He was fine. The, the biggest thing for me is that he was able to show... I don't want to say show off, but he was able to allow Meek, uh, Malik Taylor to really make an impact because we saw Funchess have that good first game and the wide receiver room is is the most crowded I think I've seen one in, in a long time. But him, him well, being yeah, able to you, connect with Malik Taylor was big time for Taylor and just for the offense and, and trying to understand like who can actually make the team. Yeah, that's that was one of the receivers that I think has turned some Packer fans' heads the last couple uh, of years yeah. is Malik Taylor because he's a guy that he's always been just outside the fringe that actually makes the roster. He yeah. made the practice squad last year, probably going to make the practice squad. I would guess this year, but I mean, he looked good. He made a couple of those catches where I think it was Aaron Rodgers was even telling Matt LaFleur yeah. to challenge that I, watching it with the naked eye. I thought it looked like Malik Taylor made the catch. I'm not exactly sure what the referees were looking at, yeah. but I thought he looked good. I thought so, he made a couple of nice catches. So the best wide receivers in the NFL, and Julio Jones is a great example of this, but they do their best work on third down and in the red zone. Julio Jones is an absolute target monster on third down. And he and his, the conversion rate at, at which he can catch and, and give his team a first down is, is like the best the NFL's ever seen. Malik Taylor on Saturday, uh, four catches, four first downs, all on third down. Like, like he was a big time player and, and I, we don't know if he'll make the roster cause the room is so crowded, but that was great to see for at least it's kind of like the offensive line. It's like, you know, you have this talent all the way down in the depth chart. And even though it's another team could come and snatch it up, you know, it won't be the end of the world if someone goes down. Yeah. And, and speaking of other receivers, like you were talking, you know, Malik Taylor looked good and he was by far the best receiver out on the field, in my opinion, for the Packers. Yep. But then you look at a guy like Reggie Bigleton, who has been in Canada. He's hung around with the Packers for the last few years. He's been on practice squads. He's a guy that, yeah, he didn't make the same plays that Malik Taylor did. But as Packer fans, we know how bad the special teams has been for like yes. the last decade. He was a guy that gave him a little bit of juice on special teams. He was a guy that had a good kick return, had an all right punt return. He had a tackle. I mean, it's a guy that if he's going to make the roster, it's going to have to be through special teams. Now, I don't think Reggie Bigleton makes the roster, but I'm saying just to, for an evidence of more depth, you have a guy that's been on practice squads here and there, has played in the Canadian League, and has shown a little bit of something in these preseason games, who's probably going to get cut because he's like the ninth best receiver in your room. Yeah. 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 And uh, I let's go further into positives. We mentioned him a little bit, but Kylan Hill, 15 snaps. He, he, he was doing it all, and I think, my opinion, I think he cemented himself as the third-string running back behind Aaron Jones and behind A.J. Dillon. You're talking seven carries, 29 yards, one touchdown, and then also had two catches for 11 yards. He's shown through this game and the last one, he, he's shown all you need to see to be that second guy in relief. Because Dillon, like, the, the difference between Aaron Jones' carries and A.J. Dillon's carries will be will not be as great as between that and the third string. 
But but having Hill in that room is big. I think he's cemented himself as the third string back. Yeah, I think in my mind the the running back room is pretty clear. You have Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. I think Kylan Hill has emerged and will be that third string running back. And you know the thing with Hill was he was all SEC what uh, two years ago, and then last year he came back, had some injuries, had some off the field issue stuff. But he shows you that he's explosive. He shows you that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He shows you that he can be a third down back. And he just has a little bit more juice than the rest of the guys that he's competing with. Now, I think Patrick Taylor has also shown some flashes. He, he was a guy well. that uh, was kept on the practice squad last year. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him on the practice squad, and that's the four guys that they roll with. Right. Jones, Dylan, Hill, and Taylor. You know, and Dexter Williams... He actually, in that game yesterday, in my opinion, showed a few good runs here and there. And another big thing that he did actually well was in the return game. He had a few good returns. I think the biggest thing going against Dexter Williams is the fact that he kind of got screwed with the no preseason his rookie year, being a, a late draft pick out of Notre Dame who's coming off of one really good year at Notre Dame. But it, there was questions whether he could catch the ball of the backfield. I know he had a drop uh, yesterday. He hasn't necessarily ran super well, and when I mean running well, he doesn't have the greatest vision necessarily. If the hole is not there, he doesn't have great vision. I think he would have been a guy that needed the beneficiary of having more of a preseason last year where you got to look at him and now having this one. I think he's kind of a casualty of his own situation and just just a little bit of a step behind everyone else. I think he'll end up getting the axe and they'll roll with those top four guys. Yeah, I'm with you. Overall, the majority of players that you were looking for and that you know their name and you were know that they're probably going to make this team or they're a rookie, they've played pretty well. And I think if you look at defensively, TJ Slayton, yes. I think that guy oh, has been man. Money. I I talk about TJ Slayton because I want to pull up his sack. Okay, so TJ Slayton was a guy that was a fifth round pick out of Florida. He's he he's a huge guy. What is he? Six three, three thirty. He's a guy that's going to six four, six four, three thirty. He's a guy that the Packers are probably hoping on pairing him inside next to Kenny uh, Kenny Clark, and. This guy is just going to eat up blockers. He's huge. You're not really necessarily anticipating him to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. He's more of just a a uh, gap filler. He's going to hold up blockers so other guys can make the play. Well, he was a guy coming out of Florida that was known as he could get a little bit of a pass rush going. He could clog holes. And he's also a guy that has a ton of talent, but not necessarily a guy that works all the time. Right. He's a guy that might take plays off. Yes. Well, against that Jets team. I mean, I'm watching it now. TJ Slayton looked good. And the thing with him in preseason through two games, they've been moving him all around. They've played him at uh, defensive end. They've played him as a nose tackle. They've played him all around. I thought through two games, he's played really well. And obviously that culminated on uh, Saturday with a sack. When you have a guy that's that big and that athletic, there, there obviously would be a reason you're able to acquire him, not in the top three picks of the draft, but then there is the potential. So I'm watching this. The, the Packers rush with a four-man front. Slayton goes up against the right guard, and he just hits him with a with a little easy swim move, and he's by him in a second to the quarterback. And, and as a depth rotational piece, I, I mean, that's like like he's been great. Well, I think another guy that you have to mention that actually turned some heads in his dad. His dad called it. His dad was the one that is calling a shot. 
I think you have to look at Jack Heflin, a guy out of Ohio State. Who, yeah. He's another guy that's a big uh, filler. He's not a guy that's going to you're going to expect to get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. Again, he's more of just a gap filler and a defensive lineman. But uh, his dad at the beginning of uh, minicamp, did you hear when he was brought in by the Packers, said when they were asked, uh, you know, who was going to make the team and come out of nowhere, he was tweeting at the Packers saying, I, it's going to be my son. <laughs> I, I did and not I, see that. Well, he he played really well against the Jets, too. As a big guy, he put a few hits on the uh, backup quarterback. Uh, who was that? Matt, Mike White. He hit him pretty hard a few times. He was in and around the ball. I actually really like what the Green Bay Packers have right now on that defensive line because you know Kenny Clark's going to be your stud. And the reason why I like it isn't even because of the Dean Lowry's and the Ryan Lancaster's and the guys that we all know are average at best. It's because of some of these draft picks or guys they brought in. Uh, Kinsley Kiki was a guy that was starting to play pretty well last year until he suffered a couple concussions and pretty much had to shut it down for the year. But if you have Kenny Clark, Kiki can bring you what he was before the concussion. Slayton can give you something and maybe even Heflin and Lancaster are rotational pieces with, uh, Lowry, it, that line looks a lot better. It's as if Goody actually is good at his job, despite what one person well, decides to say. <clears throat> and even to that point with Goody, you look at the uh, first round pick for the Green Bay Packers. Eric Stokes. And Eric Stokes. I loved coming out of Georgia, for has, the record. Has played decently well in, in small time. And you look at some of the other draft picks in this 2021 class, and Slayton's looked really good. Yes. You you'd have to say that Myers looks good. He's going to command the starting job oh, at, at center. Getting getting a starting center at not uh, again, not with your first pick in the draft, that's a positive. Amari Rodgers has looked like he's going to be a serviceable slot receiver or at least a project for when Randall Cobb inevitably has to retire because he's like 50, then Amari Rodgers can take over that role. We mentioned both of the offensive line picks that have been playing pretty well. You mentioned Van Lannan. I don't know if Van Lannan makes this team, but I mean, two I think he your... does. I, I I think he does. Cause he could play guard and he could play tackle and they, he, he was a fifth round draft pick. It's not like he's an undrafted rookie. That's like John Dietzen was cut, but he, he was fighting a crazy uphill battle. I but think Van Lannan makes his team. Even if Van Lannan doesn't make the team, you're still talking about two out of the three guys you drafted on the offensive line have been looking pretty good. Correct. And then even uh, Isaiah McDuffie, had his hat around in a lot of those plays, especially in the second half of that Jets game. And he was a smaller, undersized linebacker out of Boston College. But I think so far through two preseason games, you have to like what you see out of uh, Goody's 2021 class because the majority of them, when given the opportunity, have played well. Now, I know you said you had a couple duds that you thought uh, didn't play very well. Yeah, two negatives. And I honestly don't know. I I can't convince myself where they are in terms of making the roster or in terms of their jobs. First, cornerback Kabianento. Now, he had that interception against... Now, correct me if I'm wrong. He was a wide receiver at Colorado, right? I'm not sure. Did he play... I thought he, he might have played both ways. Anyway, he, he comes in. He has an interception against Houston. Then, then against the Jets, he, he did give up two catches. He finished the game with five total tackles, three of them solo, but three missed tackles. He was like, he, you didn't see the surefire tackling that you needed for a guy that might need to make his impact on special teams. See, I, to be completely honest, I won't even think 
Ento would have a shot at making the roster okay. just, just because of looking at that. Well, secondary. he's been a talk of camp because he had the interception in week one. And I don't know. He's been he's been one of those. Uh, what's people people have been talking him up in terms of like he could battle for a roster spot. So that's what I'm saying is like he's a dud, but he's not one of the guys that you project that needs to be a good depth piece. Second one, Kamal Martin. He, his his coverage dropping back as a linebacker his 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 work covering and just being in the right position was extremely subpar well, and that's not going to show up on the stat sheet because then like it, it's the old Blake Martinez thing especially when he went to the Giants he would lead the league in tackles because he couldn't cover he he, he couldn't cover anything that was the thing uh so I thought Blake Martinez was a solid linebacker, but he, he's he not a guy okay. that could run sideline to sideline or cover very well. Well, Blake Martinez had so many tackles because he would let every single tight end catch the ball and then immediately tackle them for an 11-yard gain. Because he just physically couldn't keep up with them. Exactly. And I was very against re-signing Blake Martinez, and I know I had some friends and some other Packer fans that, you know, they had to sign Martinez, and, you know, they would think that someone like myself who said, no, you got to let Martinez go... Yeah. They thought it was crazy. Well, that's well, just you, how the stat sheet lies sometimes. You, you know? look at Kamal Martin, and this was the same thing. I kind of laughed when they drafted him. I wasn't a big fan of when they drafted him because he was a fifth-round pick out of uh, Minnesota, and he wasn't a guy that put fear in any Wisconsin Badger fan at the linebacker position. No. Now, he was talented, and he had some injuries, but... His 40 time just did not flash for you or any of his real uh, agility times really never flashed because he just didn't seem that fast. He almost seemed like a poor man's Blake Martinez. Like you would hope that he could become a yeah. Blake Martinez, right. but he could never be the Luke Keekley that you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, he is a solid athlete, but his like his his work in, in pass coverage and at the linebacker. And that's what ha- hurt him last year. Now, he had some injuries. He had the COVID. He didn't necessarily get on the field as much as they would have liked, but you have Kamal Martin, and he showed a little bit last year that he could play at middle linebacker, maybe the coverage was still a little off, but did you see what they were doing and how they were using him against the Jets? They were actually lining him up as an outside linebacker. Right. That would obviously help cut down on his coverage because he can't time cover. Exactly. Because he can't cover. Exactly. So it makes sense, especially he did come out and had a big hit on Mike White. He did. So uh, that's a guy that's probably going to be a project. You probably figured that, draft him in the fifth round. Right. But uh, he's probably going to be a guy that might be a bit of a hybrid. Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code THEZONE125. You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. Now we're going to look a little bit more into the Big Ten West specifically. And obviously the Big Ten West is... Wisconsin, it's Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, <clears throat> Northwestern, Purdue, and it's the teams that Wisconsin has to uh, come out victorious against to uh, advance to that Big Ten championship game and be able to take on most likely the Ohio States of the world. Yes, uh, yes, a- absolutely. The way I see it right now, so I'm pulling up Wisconsin's schedule uh, exactly right now, but if if we're being completely honest, there are two pivotal games 
that Wisconsin will play this season. One, against Iowa at home. The date, I, I believe it is Halloween weekend. Yes, October 30th. And then they travel to Minnesota to close the year, November 27th. Now, the Michigan game and the Penn State game are I, they're big games because they're playing big-time programs. But this is a crossover game with the East that, in all honesty, might not decide their Big Ten West fate. You want to see them win. And losses in both would be bad, but it, it's not a must-win. When you look at the Iowa game and, and Iowa... We know they they ran all over the Badgers last year, and they'll be good again. I I don't think there's as big of a gap between the teams as we saw last year. I think Wisconsin's better, but I, like Iowa will still be at that level. That game October 30th will probably decide the West. Well, I'm just I'm not even going to dig into their schedule right now versus you know all the other teams' schedules. I think if you just look at the West just in general. And you look at some of the teams around. You have Illinois, who first year Brett Bielema, head coach, right? Yeah. Lost a lot of different recruits because of well, Lovey Smith being done. They lost a lot of players. That's definitely going to be. And they were be, already really bad. Yeah, they weren't a good team. They lost a lot of players. It's it's definitely going to be a rebuilding year where you can't criticize Brett Bielema for how bad of a year it's going to be. Yes, I can. It's yeah, just yeah, going I, to be that bad. Yes, I can criticize Brett Bielema, and I will. And then you look at some of these other teams, like Purdue. Purdue lost one of their big playmakers. But they haven't. that is a sneaky trap game. It is. I agree with you on that. But, I mean, Brom, he hasn't really impressed. No. It, it, there hasn't really been any consistent quarterback play at Purdue. You lose some of your bigger weapons. The defense has never really been that great. I think yeah. that's another team like Illinois that you're really not going to have a ton of worry about. I, I worry about it just because Purdue finds a way to win one game every year that they have no business winning. And Jack Plummer will be okay at quarterback. Bell is obviously scary. Karloftis on the defensive line is scary. They're not a good team. But uh, like that's a letdown spot. Another team that's you know not necessarily supposed to be that great is Northwestern. Now Northwestern, always, they're, oh, they're going to struggle. They always are a team that you think they're not going to be very good, and they play better than what they are. And I think you have to credit that to Pat Fitzgerald and how good of a coach he actually is. But we have to remember that they are losing Mike Hankwitz, the defensive coordinator. Hunter that, Johnson is their starting quarterback, former five-star recruit who really hasn't been able to do anything. They bring in a transfer from South Carolina, but he lost the job. They did like they lost everybody well, from that, last year. Yeah, that defense lost a lot of a lot of good players off of it. And I just think you just they're not going to be a good team, but no. they're a team that you can't sleep on because we've seen Wisconsin struggle with Northwestern, especially when it's at Northwestern. I'm now, sleeping on I'm I'm completely sleeping on Northwestern this year. I like like last year I had that take and it was wrong, but this like I don't see a way that they contend with Wisconsin and Iowa. The only the only reason why I'm I'm not going to say that Northwestern would be a team that wins two or three games is because Pat Fitzgerald is the head coach and he'll figure out a way. Yeah. But but the team on paper is not very good. It is really poor. And then you look at Nebraska, a team that <laughs> Man, on paper, they seem to get recruits here and there. The recruiting seems to be up. You have Scott Frost, you know, a former quote-unquote national champion with uh, UCF. But the dude has only had one legit winning season in his entire head coaching career, and that was that UCF season. Outside of that, it's been pretty underwhelming. Yeah, and he's, he's a Nebraska cheating. guy. And he's a cheater. 
Everyone just, talked about bringing. I, I I said this on the show last week. Everyone talked about. Scott Frost is going to bring Nebraska back to the glory days of the 90s. He's going to return Nebraska football to what they were 20 years ago. It's like he did that just by blatantly cheating. I, I just don't see that offensive line was meh since he's gotten there. The defense hasn't been good, and it hasn't even been respectable since, what, Bo Pelini was head coach? Yes, and there hasn't been a game where Wisconsin's run for less than 3,000 yards on them. I mean, Adrian Martinez hasn't been a Heisman dark horse in a couple years. Like, <laughs> I don't believe in this Nebraska team. Whatever, I think no. they'll be they'll be a nice little six and six type team. Uh, their their schedule is crazy hard. They'll be lucky to be six and six. They'll be like their ceiling right now is being bowl eligible. <laughs> and then we'll go to to Minnesota. Minnesota now. PJ Fleck, love him or hate him, he does seem to make teams better. He does seem to put decent products out on the field. Now. They do have. They are reta- uh, returning their quarterback. Now the quarterback has played well two years ago when he had two studs. years ago he lit it up when he had studs. Let's not yes. forget he had Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, two of the better receivers in college football. Then all of a sudden he lost uh, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman did not look the same. I know they were throwing him in the slot instead of playing him outside, and it was different. But uh, Tanner Morgan did not look that great. No, he did not. And their team as a whole was was weird. Now it was, I know it was weird because their defense last year was one of the worst I have ever seen play college football in the Big Ten Conference. Now you could look at the Big Twelve every season and and draw comparisons. Their I, defense will be better. Yeah, and I know the defense has to get better, and I know they're bringing back some of the offensive line in Ibrahim, who's their pretty good running back. He's the best running back in the Big Ten. Yeah, so they're going to have players, but I just don't think they're anywhere close to as well-rounded as the Wisconsin Badgers. No, but Chris Altman-Bell on the outside, it, like they still have a team where going there to finish the season, if that defense is better this year, that will that still could be a, a scary game. It all depends. Like this is so far away. It depends on how the teams are are set up at that point because it'll be so different. But they're like if if they can be any better on defense, they'll pose a threat. Yeah, I think that in my mind they're a team that if you look at just the West in general, I think they're a top three team in the West. Yes, and I I think they are the number three team in the West. And then the last team that we'll talk about here besides Wisconsin is the Iowa Hawkeyes. And I think the Hawkeyes are a pretty well-rounded team. They have solid offensive line. They have solid skilled players. They have a solid defense. You know what they're missing, in my opinion? A quarterback. It's the quarterback. They don't have a quarterback. Why do we agree so much today? This isn't what I expected. And so I think if you go right down that list, I think obviously Wisconsin is the clear-cut favorite. And if you look at Vegas and FanDuel, Wisconsin, you look at BetUS, you look at FanDuel, every single uh book out there they clearly have Wisconsin being the favorite in the west and then it actually plays out just how we said the second best team they have is Iowa I think Iowa's the second best team if their quarterback can play well that's probably the second uh, well-rounded team besides Wisconsin we both talked about Minnesota I think they're the third best team in the west I think we're also saying that if they can get better quarterback play and better defensive play makes sense and then after there, I think it falls in line. I think Nebraska will probably be the fourth best team in the in the Big Ten, just basically be, uh, off of recruiting. 
And then you basically throw in your Northwesterns, Purdue's, and Illinois of the world in the yep. West. I think it's clear cut. Top four is Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska. Yes, uh, and and Iowa is clearly the biggest threat to that number one. Uh, yeah, Iowa's we, the threat because they need just the quarterback play. Like Minnesota needs quarterback play, questionable receivers, questionable defense. Well, Could you say that Wisconsin is very similar to Iowa? I think they're slightly better at a lot of positions, but uh, both of them have big question marks at the quarterback position. I I, I would call I now the question marks are are similar sized. Yes, yeah, I would call them similar teams. I would say Wisconsin sealer see I mean, excuse me ceiling is a lot higher and their floor is oh, also lower. A hundred percent, and I think the reason being is we're talking about how both teams are pretty well rounded. Both teams can play good defense. I think Wisconsin's defense is better. I think that both can run the ball. I think Wisconsin might slightly be a little bit better running the football just based on history. It'll be really similar. But it'll be e- extremely close. And I think both my offensive question, lines are good. My but other question here's about... Here's what I was going to say, though. The thing uh, with the Iowa, Mertz has shown that he can be great. Mertz has a higher ceiling. I think I was just hoping that their quarterback can be average. Well, I think Spencer Petras sucks. He's been trash. But I'm not going to, like, I'm probably going to be proven wrong sometimes, and that's totally fine. I, I am not on the side of that. He's good. They also lost two stud defensive linemen. So we'll see if, if they're able to replace them. But, uh, I mean, overall, it's it, it's Wisconsin, especially because they get Iowa at home and Wisconsin's so good at home. It's it's Wisconsin's division to lose, 100%. 100%. And now we're going to kind of look at the Wisconsin Badgers schedule just in general. So obviously we've been talking about it. It's about 12 days away. It's Penn State. It's the first week of the season. It's in Camp Randall. It's number twelve Wisconsin versus number nineteen Penn State. Ooh. I just love it when they when there are little numbers next to both names. You know, it just feels it's different. A big, it's a yeah. Big Ten game starting the season, and no, it's not Illinois, and no, there's no COVID that puts it on hold for like a month and a half. It's Penn State, Wisconsin, September fourth, Camp Randall, Saturday. Let's go. Man, I like I I just can't wait. I, the funny thing is going so every single beat writer always tweets a picture of the student section showing up late to the games. You know, because everyone's doing their thing down near State Street, so they always show up like midway through the first quarter. And every beat writer is always like, "Why is the student section so late to show up? Like this is terrible." I I cannot wait to see a if the student section shows up on time, but b if there is still outrage. That the kids that live far away from the stadium don't decide to walk over until it's late. I've I, I've talked about this on the podcast actually because the mechanisms they have to get the kids into it the games sucks. is terrible. It's a bottleneck. But that is neither here nor there. I I am unbelievably excited. I think if you look at the first game against Penn State, obviously it's a team that underperformed in Penn State. It's a team where the quarterback play was subpar. It's a team where just the offense in general was subpar. And this was a a James Franklin. And in my opinion, James Franklin has been pretty overrated for the majority of his career. I disagree with that. I mean, he had some good teams at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's not a football school. And he's went to Penn State and I think has been severely overpaid and overrated. Well, overpaid, maybe. Overrated, no. I think he still has that program in a good spot. I think this. I think the Penn State game is the second hardest game on Wisconsin's schedule. Because I, Penn State last, so they started zero and five, and and everyone, you know, the sky was falling. They come back, they win their last four, 
But this is a really talented team. And what scares me is Sean Clifford coming back after struggling last year, but in 2019, really productive. And you have a running back room that is back for the Nittany Lions. And you have Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington on the outside at wide receiver. And that pair scares me with, I, and Fayon Hicks and Caesar Williams are, are good cornerbacks. And the Wisconsin secondary figures to be a solid one. But week one, like if, if you want to go into Camp Randall and win week one, you got to hit on a couple big plays. And Jahan Dotson has the chance to just absolutely torch the Badgers. So I'm not full tweak about it but I I'm a little scared well obviously it's going to be one of the tougher games on the Wisconsin schedule because we talked about all the Wisconsin ske- schedule is pretty favorable yes extremely I mean there's a lot of their better teams they play are all at home there isn't a ton of games where you're like ooh, that's a trap game waiting to happen now I'll say this Graham Mertz if you get a Graham Mertz that's somewhere between Illinois and Michigan which is most likely what who he's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if this Wisconsin football team went 12 and 0. Neither would I. Now saying that, which is crazy. Now saying that Penn state, why the reason why I like Wisconsin one, it's home, right? You should in theory have everybody healthy and ready to roll on both sides. But one of the big things is the coaching difference. I told you, I thought uh, James Franklin has been overrated. I think Paul Chris coming in with the entire offseason to get ready for Penn State. Coming back to to play calling as well. Exactly. I think that's that's the perfect time to play this type of Penn State team was week one with him taking the reins back up calling plays, with him having a whole offseason to script and get ready for that game, and every both teams being uh pretty much healthy. I like Wisconsin at that game because of those reasons. I see that. I, I mean, I, I think Penn State is still the second toughest game just because of how good their team is. That also tells you about the rest of the teams Wisconsin will be playing. The toughest game for me is against Notre Dame, and that is because... Well, if we get there, so I think we're we're both... Are you saying I, I'm giving them a win against Penn I State? I am not releasing my official prediction yet because I have not actually made a prediction yet. I am still back and forth. Like, I'm not just going to go and say they're going to win because I, I need to think more about it. I think we're both going to say that they roll Eastern Michigan. Yes. I, not even close. Okay. And then Notre Dame, obviously we've been talking <laughs> about it. It's been the big one. <laughs> Wisconsin hasn't played Notre Dame since 1964. It's after a bye week for the Badgers. Exactly. It's Noted. after the bye week. It's, it's a neutral game, which is in Soldier Field. So it'll be a 50-50 crowd, I, I think, because Chicago's so easy to get to from both South Bend and Madison. And Chicago's just a huge ground for Notre Dame fans just in general. Yeah, I think it'll be a close to 50-50 crowd. And, I mean, Jack Cohn. Like, what if he comes out and just throws for 350-4? and four? Well, that's that's the thing with Notre Dame. I think we know that Wisconsin's going to have a better defense. Yes. Well, Oh, then Notre Dame. Absolutely. Then Notre Dame, yes. A- absolutely. Then, in my opinion, getting that by, Paul Christ has been a wizard off of buys. He also knows Jack Cohn. Hey, like, you think Jim Leonard doesn't know how to stop Jack Cohn when they've been playing him in practice for his entire career? And I, I'm, I like James Franklin. I think, and I'm. This is coming from a guy that the second favorite team to watch is Notre Dame. I think Brian Kelly's overrated. I, I, I don't think that's the case either. And like you said, they know Jack Cohn. But here's my biggest thing, and and it's something that I keep saying to myself when we're looking at a lot of these games and how many wins you think the Badgers are going to have. The biggest thing to me is, no matter 
that they know Jack Cohn or that, you know, Jim Leonard knows how to stop Jack Cohn. We know that Jack Cohn is going to be a solid quarterback. We know that Jack Cohn is going to be good. He's going to have a really good season. He's going to be sturdy. He's going to have athletes at Notre Dame because they can recruit. I think he even wasn't able to reach his full potential and full toolbox in the Wisconsin offense where Jonathan Taylor was obviously the guy you want with the ball every play. But but what I'm getting at is I think Jack Cohn, I agree. no matter what, is going to be solid. Yes. I don't know what Graham Mertz is going to do. If he looks like he did against Indiana, the Badgers are screwed. If he looks like he did against Michigan, this is going to be a hell of a game. And if he looks like he did against Illinois, Wisconsin might just run through Notre Dame. But that's the it's also the third game of the year after he gets a chance to throw for nine touchdowns against Eastern Michigan and, and I, after a bye week. And I think the bye week is going to be the big one. So that also sets up really favorable for Wisconsin. And then you have Michigan, which Michigan, a, Michigan is going to come to Madison like what happens every single time they do in the last 25 years. They're going to come. Everyone's going to be hyping Harbaugh. They're going to think they're good and they're going to get destroyed. They are, every time they play Wisconsin, they are so soft on the field and they get pushed around like little thumbtacks. See, I would agree with that, but the only thing that I'll say for a little bit of hesitancy is it could be a letdown after a big Notre Dame win. That's I, the only thing no, I like have. You don't let down at Camp Randall Stadium. Like Your letdowns would be against an army. That, not no, against the I'm Michigan. I'm saying if you got a huge win against Notre Dame, I could see it potentially being a letdown, but that's the only thing I'm giving Jim Michigan. Harbaugh is not coming in and winning at Camp Randall. I think and the, the Wisconsin's nine-point favorites. I think we'll both admit that Illinois gets trucked by Wisconsin. Uh, it, it, Illinois might not win more than two games this year. I think the only thing that's going to make Army a little difficult is, is different. the fact that they run the spread option. You're, yes. It's something you don't really plan for because not many teams run for uh, run it, so that's going to be something new. I think, like you, at Purdue could be the trap game because it's between that Army and that big Iowa matchup. Yep. Iowa, I think we're both in agreement that Wisconsin's well, just a little bit better everywhere and has the better quarterback. Yeah, I my only thought on that now is it defines the season. It is the most important game on the on the schedule. And then I'll just for time's sake, I think it's pretty easy. We both think they truck uh, Rutgers. Yes. In theory, shouldn't have trouble with Northwestern, though they always seem to. But it is at home this year. I I just last thing on Michigan, they suck. I don't care how much they're going to be better than last year, but they are not going to come in like Penn State is so much more of a scare in Camp Randall than Michigan. But yes, going down the stretch of the season, it's it's the Minnesota game that scares me. Yeah, and, and I'm not even really that scared of Minnesota. It's just it's a way. Minnesota does have some players that can play well. They can be a threat. But I think Rutgers, Northwestern, Nebraska, those are three teams that Wisconsin should easily handle. Yep. And the only reason why I differ with you with the Michigan is... We've seen Kate McNamara throw the, throw the football. I'm not saying they're good by any means. I just think that... Penn State being the first week of the season, allowing all that prep time is big benefit to Paul Chris and the Badgers. And I think Michigan being directly after Notre Dame, which could be a huge win and letdown. I don't think that Wisconsin loses to Michigan. I think the first half might be closer than you'd think because of that. Sure. And then Wisconsin realizes that whenever Michigan comes to Madison, they just fold like a piece of paper. You don't see, I, I will never defend Michigan. No, I know. I like, like I, 
I am I am not passionately saying Wisconsin will destroy Penn State, Michigan. It's it's a different story. Like I I see this team having a bad year. And no, lose. they're going to be better. It, it, no, I'm saying if they have a bad year, I don't see how they. This is a Wisconsin bad year, going like nine and three. I'm saying if everything hits on all cylinders. Oh, oh for the Badgers, I thought you were saying the, no, Michigan. No, for the Badgers. Yes. If they have a bad year, I think they're nine and three. If if Graham Mertz plays up to his potential, I think they're twelve and zero. Oh. I agree. 